Welcome to the Story Forest, original tales for curious and adventurous children. George's half-term is much stranger than he thought. He's visiting a castle ruin with his mum, but each night when he wakes he's in the very same castle hundreds of years in the past, and it seems he has a mission. Can he help Clara in the night castle? Written by Anna Roberts and read by her favourite storyteller in the world, her mother, Pam McNaughton. Haunting the Hall George woke again to a sunny autumn day. He jumped out of bed, feeling energetic and triumphant. He and Clara had done something good. They had helped the villagers. Though still the mystery of his nighttime adventures was not solved. Was Clara's magic wishing box really bringing him back hundreds of years into the past? Resolving to ask to see it when, or if, he saw her again, George got dressed and went downstairs to find Mum looking sleepy and making some toast. Morning, Mum. Uh, have you found anything out about your mystery Clara yet? Mum gave him a grin. Not yet, no. It's pretty unlikely, really. She was only there for a few months. I think the uncle wanted to get his hands on her inheritance, but he never managed it, and she just disappeared. What happened to the money then? George said, taking some toast from the toaster and covering it with butter and jam. The uncle tried to get it, but he couldn't by then. Clara's father was a lord too, and didn't trust his brother-in-law one bit. He'd put Clara's fortune in trust with a friend until Clara married, but when she disappeared, he went to a more distant cousin. Lord Clarthen, Clara's uncle, went bankrupt not long after himself. He was a bad lot. Some people thought he killed his wife. George found himself feeling a bit worried about Clara, but he couldn't exactly do anything right now. Poor Clara, he said simply, and Mum gave a little laugh. Well, exactly. W would you put the kettle on? They got ready for the day, and George decided he would spend it getting to know the castle as well as he possibly could. When they got there, Mum went off to look at things, and George started to read every information board, and then started walking around the ruins, looking at absolutely everything. He memorised the layout, the rooms, the halls, the main eating hall with its minstrel's gallery above where musicians would play. He imagined them full of people and found himself wondering about Lord Clarthen and about Griffin, about Sir Thomas and everyone else. He found a well sinking deep into the ground and rooms and passageways. He wondered where Clara's room was. Then he started climbing on the walls, jumping and getting them all worked out in his head. Mum had to call him over for lunch because he was so busy. She told him to be careful and they munched their sandwiches again before George went to inspect the edges of the island. The beach they had landed at last night was almost gone, but as he pushed his way around he found a small cave under an overhanging rock. He remembered it. Maybe it would be useful. It started to rain, so Mum packed George into the car and they went and ate pizza and went to the cinema. George decided that this was actually a pretty great half-term holiday after all. They went home and had a chat and, nerves starting to tingle, George said goodnight to Mum 
and got ready for bed. He had a think and then rummaged through his bag. He found a torch and the penknife he had got for his birthday. He clutched them in his hands as he got into bed and hoped they would travel with him. He lay wide awake for a while and then suddenly there was darkness. He must have been asleep and then suddenly he was awake and there in front of him was Clara grinning. Hello George, she said. I just wished on my wishing box and here you are. See? She held forward a small box about the size of her hand, round and made of dark wood. There were gold patterns on it and it was set with eight red stones. They're rubies, she said proudly. It was my mother's and she gave it especially to me. Hello, Clara. George tried to sound serious and grown up, but actually this time he was just excited. Why do you need help this time? And how much time has passed for you? He opened his palms. There were the penknife and the torch. He felt a surge of triumph. He had tools. He looked around him. They were in a small room that had piles of cloths in, from very fancy patterned ones to rough stained ones. They were all neatly tidied away on the shelves. It's been a few weeks. Has it only been a day for you? George nodded and Clara carried on. I've got so much to tell you. I've been busy. Her eyes glistened with secrets and George grinned. Go on then. If you need my help, I'm going to need to know all about it. Well, you know, last time you were here, we gave some food to the villagers. They're really, really hungry. Not just that day, but all the days. So we've been sneaking food to them. Clara gave a triumphant grin. I did try to ask my uncle to give them more food, but he refused. Then Griffin was horrible to me for days, though that's just normal. But then I spoke to Sir Thomas, the priest, and he's been helping me. I get the food and he rows it over on the boat. Amazing, George said with a grin. He couldn't think of any news he would have liked better. It is, Clara agreed, then frowned. Well, mostly. You see, they've sort of noticed that food is going missing and no one talked about it for a while because they were scared of your ghost. But then my uncle found out and he's investigating. I see. Part of George was very curious to meet Lord Clarthen and his son, Griffin. Part of him wanted to punch them too. So I called you here, she gave him a big grin. I thought we could get the ghost out again to scare them. What do you think? George raised his eyebrows. I like it, he said slowly. But do you really think your uncle will believe it? Clara shrugged. I'm not sure, but it's definitely worth a try. How do you think we should start? George frowned. Of course, in some ways, he was like a ghost here. He didn't belong and he knew things that he shouldn't. And surely that would give them an advantage. He felt his fingers again, too. And he had a torch. I think we should, he started to say, when the door in front of them opened. There was a child outside looking thin, pale and frightened. He looked up at Clara. Um, the Lord wants you, miss, 
He said to bring you straight away. George noticed that for all her courage and ideas, Clara's face had changed when she heard the news. He looked at her carefully. She looked afraid. She glanced at him. Will you come? George gulped. He had no idea how to behave in front of a Tudor lord, but Clara needed help. OK. Clara looked confused and George rephrased it. I mean, yes, I will. Let's go. Clara nodded, then stepped out of the cupboard and started to lead the way. The child who had brought the message disappeared. They walked down corridors which got progressively wider and more impressive until they were going through a very wide hall with beautiful paintings and ornate furniture either side that George knew his mum would love to study. George noticed that the people around him here were wearing more elaborate clothes and hairstyles. They came to some doors and a servant opened them. Ahead was a large room at the other end of which sat a very tall, very red man clothed in wildly bright colours and a lot of gold. Clara gave George a side glance, which he took to mean that this man was her uncle, Lord Clarthen. He fell to walking behind Clara, who he saw, though she was frightened, walked straight and tall with her head held high. When they were closer, she performed a curtsy, though, watching as he performed a stiff bow, George couldn't help but think that it contained a spirit of defiance. When they were closer, she performed a curtsy, though, watching as he performed a stiff bow, George couldn't help but think that it contained a spirit of defiance. Clara, her uncle's voice was rough. It held no affection at all. Do you know anything about this food going missing? Have you seen anything? No, uncle. Clara spoke clearly. She stared up at Lord Clarthen, and George thought he saw a flash of irritation in the man's face. I bet she does. She's always sneaking around the castle. A voice came from their right, and George turned. The voice was cruel and lazy and belonged to a boy a little older than himself who already towered over many of the men in the room. He was large too and his fancy clothes looked faintly ridiculous on him. But George could tell from looking at him that no one would dare to laugh. This must be Clara's cousin Griffin who tormented her. The boy moved closer and glared at Clara. I'd say she was eating it all herself, but she's clearly not. Scrawny thing. George saw the back of Clara's neck go pink and her hands that were at her sides clench into fists. He saw that Lord Clarthen was chuckling slightly. No, I'm sure she doesn't notice anything around her. Like your mother, Griff. Lord Clarthen was watching Clara closely and George thought he was lying. He thought Clara knew something. She's away with the fairies. Let's hope they don't spirit her away. I am not, Clara said crossly. I'm right here and you know I am. Though I'm not sure if I'd rather be away with the fairies than here with you. Is that all? Lord Clarthen raised his eyebrows. Speak well, Clara. Your parents would be ashamed of you. Griffin, why don't you stay with Clara today? 
You can keep an eye out together. Griffin didn't look thrilled about this development, but scowled and dipped his head, then walked over to Clara. George saw him pinch her arm hard where no one else could see. I'm sure we'll think of something to do. Clara didn't say anything, but bobbed a short curtsy and walked out of the hall. Griffin followed behind and George after that. Now there was a new problem. How on earth were they going to do anything with Griffin in tow? Clara led them out to the courtyard, then turned and scowled at Griffin. Are you really going to follow us around all day? Us, Griffin said mockingly, seeming to notice George for the first time. You mean you actually want to spend time with this peasant? George felt anger rise in him. He wasn't a peasant, though it wasn't even bad if he was. He was just, well, from the future. It is a pleasure to make your acquaintance, uh, Griffin. George wasn't sure what he should be calling Griffin, but soon that thought was out of his head, as Griffin had lunged at him with a punch. George was speedy and got out of the way fast, but when he stood again, Griffin had a bright red face and was raging. Impertinence, he said, and George looked quickly at Clara. Clara looked between the two of them, then spoke in the haughtiest tone George had ever heard from her. You're right, she said. He is awful. Let us punish him. Follow me. Griffin gripped George's arm tightly so that it hurt and followed Clara, who went inside, and then along a corridor which he recognised. It was where he had found Clara the first time, crying in the cupboard. The very cupboard she stopped outside now. She looked at her cousin. Griffin, there is a stick in there that we could use to punish George, but it's too high for me to reach. Please, could you get it? Griffin looked at her, then nodded. Clara opened the door, then he stepped inside. Clara winked at George, then slammed the door closed. Quick, she hissed. We need to make sure that he can't get out. George looked around him and saw a large trunk which he went over to. It was very, very heavy and he had to push with all his might to move it at all. When he was closer, Clara helped and they moved it in front of the door. Griffin started shouting. George and Clara looked at each other. They were flushed but triumphant. The sky outside was starting to get dark. Let's go, George said, and they started to walk along the corridor, away from Griffin's shouting. I'll pretend the door got stuck, Clara said, and George nodded. Is there a time that lots of people will be gathered somewhere, he asked. I have an idea. He told Clara what he was thinking and showed her the torch. She was so startled, even by seeing that, that he was sure that his idea would work, but they would have to be fast. They raced around the castle, getting everything that they needed. Then they separated. Clara would have to go to the feast, as usual. She showed George where to hide, and he waited. He was above the main hall in a small balcony called a minstrel's gallery. Clara assured him that her uncle only ever had musicians there when there were guests, 
and there were no guests tonight. The room was lit by candles, but up where he was it was dark. It was perfect. He watched Clara's uncle come in and other people dressed in fancy clothes and then others filling the lower tables in plainer clothes. And then the servants began to arrive, covering each table with food and drink and plates. When everyone started to eat, George carefully began to lower the contraption. They had first made a sort of clothes hanger from pieces of wood. Then they had gone to Clara's aunt's room and chosen a pale looking gown. They had then taken pieces of thin white cloth from a cupboard and draped it from the sleeves and the bottom of the dress. George had used his penknife to extract some thin cotton from one piece of fabric which they had used to tie his torch into the dress and then to hang the whole thing from too. He reached down, turned on the torch and then let the dress swing. It swooshed over the heads of the people at the lowest tables, sending a breeze through the room. Everyone looked up and most people screamed at the glowing, flying dress shooting through the air. George looked at Clara's uncle. His face had gone completely pale. They had done it. Now George just had to bring the dress back. Luckily there was a loud noise down below. The doors at the side of the hall had opened and outside them stood Griffin, bright red and flustered. George guessed he must have just escaped from the cupboard. George quickly pulled at the threads and the dress came closer and closer. He managed to pull it through the banisters, then grabbed it and ran for Clara's aunt's old rooms. He managed to stuff it into the wardrobe and grab his torch before he heard footsteps coming along the corridor. He dived under the bed and lay there, trying to make his breath as quiet as possible. Two pairs of shoes stepped into the room. One was very ornate and trod heavily. It must be Lord Clarthen. One was the priest. Can it be a ghost? Lord Clarthen demanded angrily. It was wearing her dress. She has been gone for so long. Why now? The priest paused. George thought he must know that he was involved. Is the food still going missing? the priest asked. I've put a guard on the kitchen, Lord Clarthen said. Nothing can get through at the moment. Perhaps that is why the apparition appeared, the priest spoke mildly. When it appeared before, it seemed to want food. Was your wife wanting for food when she died? Lord Clarthen didn't reply. George thought his mother had probably been right. Lord Clarthen had been involved in his wife's death. Can a ghoul eat? Lord Clarthen said, finally. Does it care for these earthly things? The priest, when he replied, sounded strained. I am not versed in these things, sire. We may pray and we must find a way forward. I don't want that thing appearing again. Lord Clarthen said quickly, let us bring food for it to this room and then we shall see. Wise counsel, the priest replied and Lord Clarthen grunted, I have little enough to spare. When I can get my hands on that girl's money, things will be different. 
for now we must make do. You pray, man, and keep away any ghouls or sprites or anyone else who wants our food. Yes, sire. Then there were footsteps and the people were gone. George rolled onto his back under the bed in exultation. The food would be brought here for them. Clara and the priest could take it to the villagers. It was perfect. It had worked. When he was sure he wouldn't be seen, he slipped out of the room and walked towards the hall, trying to look inconspicuous until Clara appeared. There were lots of servants running around looking busy, and after a few moments a woman, without really looking at him, thrust a jug of wine towards him and pushed him in the back. He found himself walking into the main hall. People here were still talking in hushed tones, looking up, giving little shrieks of fright. Another servant directed him to the top table and, shaking a little, he walked along, pouring wine into the glasses. He reached Clara and she looked at him. He gave a slight nod of his head and she beamed. He moved along and as he reached the end of the table, the world seemed less stable again and shimmered and flowed and faded. George woke the next morning to realise that he had left his torch and penknife in the past. He wondered if he would ever see them again. The end. Thanks for listening. If you could go to sleep and wake up somewhere else, where would it be? Next week, Clara has another challenge for George to help her with. Tune in to find out more. Thank you.